Are you ready for the word this morning? All right. Well, we're going to continue on in our series on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I know I have been learning a ton from the Lord about this topic um, as I've been diving in and, and studying. And, you know, I think it's something, again, that <clears throat> we don't talk a lot about in the church. You know, it's, it's there and, and the, the gifts of the Spirit are there, but we don't necessarily, we know that they're there, but we don't necessarily dive in and go a little deeper. So I will tell you that I am learning right alongside all of you and sharing what the Lord is, is revealing to me. So the, the past, I don't know, six weeks or so, we've talked about mo- a, a good chunk of them so far. We've talked about a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, the gift of faith, the gifts of healings. And today we're going to talk about the working of miracles. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. I'm excited. Um, before we get in, though, just a reminder that the gifts of the Spirit are given to the body of Christ to edify, uplift, build up the body of Christ. What does that mean? What does that truly look like? It means that the gifts are here so that way we can encourage each other. So that way we can give a word of knowledge and, and maybe solidify something for somebody that the Lord had shown them. Uh, to provide a word of wisdom about something that's coming in the future for that person. Uh, to be able to you know, pray over somebody and, and, and have the Holy Spirit work through our bodies for the body of Christ. Now, I will also say that not only are the gifts of the Spirit meant for the edification of the body, but they can also be used to encourage those that don't know Christ. Amen. And I would say that the, gifts of, the gift of miracles, the gift of the working of miracles is definitely one of those gifts that if you look at somebody who doesn't know Jesus if they're in a situation where all of a sudden you know the gift of the working of miracles comes to place and they didn't know Jesus before they're going to know who Jesus is after right and they're going to ask how did that happen I don't understand Um, I've never experienced this in my life but I've heard stories of of people that are in, in you know, countries across the world where maybe they're sitting in a meeting and there's a witch doctor there and the, the gift of working of miracles comes through and now this witch doctor is professing Jesus and, and moving away from that and, and different things like that. So not only are the gifts of the Spirit meant for the edification of the body, but they can also be used to draw those that don't know Jesus to Him. So, and I think that's, that's really important when we talk about miracles. Miracles are one of the things that if you were to ask most Christians, they would say, I don't know how they happen. That's because it's supernatural, right? They, you, can't, you can't explain them. Um, and I want to talk about a few things that, that correlate with this gift. First, we'll kind of dive into what it actually is. But I also want to talk about one of the biggest questions that a lot of Christians have is, why don't we see more miracles today? And why doesn't everybody who needs a miracle get one? Right? You get a miracle. It's like Oprah, right? You get a car, you get a car, you get a miracle. Why, why don't we see more of that in today's church? Um, so I'll dive into that a little bit. But before I do, uh, I just want to lay a foundation of what is the gift of the working of miracles. So again, we won't go there today, but our, our, the text that we've been reading out of is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, feel free to read that again. Uh, I, I'm, we're not going to go there today. Um, and I, I want to start by saying this, that there's some that believe that miracles were only meant for a certain time period. 
Miracles are for today, guys. Like they are, they are not something that went away with the early church. It's not something that is only temporary. Miracles are supposed to be happening today, right? They're supposed to be happening today. And they should continue to happen today. The church should be moving and flowing. And, and, and the Holy Spirit wants to move through His body in this gift because of the power and the impact that it has on the global church. Right? I mean, think about it. In, in Acts chapter 3, when the lame man gets healed as Peter's walking into the temple, it says thousands came to know Christ shortly thereafter. It was added into the church. Now, why, I, oh, I'm not going to say that it was just because of that, but that definitely had a large impact, Amen. right? So the Holy Spirit wants to be moving through His body in the gift of miracles today. So let's start by looking at how this gift lines up into the overall nine gifts of the Spirit. So I haven't dove into this quite a bit, but I want to break down of the nine gifts, they're, they're usually categorized into three different categories. So you have the revelation gifts, you have the power gifts, and, and I, th- what, I've, what I read was the inspiration gifts. That one you might, you know, you could look at it in a few different ways, but they're broken up into three different categories. The revelation gifts are the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, which we'll get into. We haven't talked about that one yet. The power gifts are the gift of faith, the gift of miracles, and the, gift of he- the gifts of healings, excuse me. And the inspiration gifts are the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. So the the working of miracles falls into that middle bucket. The power gifts correlated with the gift of faith and the gifts of healings. They're all kind of interconnected, but those three, if you really look at them, often work very close hand in hand. They work hand in hand. So they're the power gifts. Uh, So what is the difference? And we talked about the gifts of healings last week. And now we're going to talk about the working of miracles. What's the difference in those two? And I would say, as I was studying this and reading several different teachers and reading the Word about it, I think the biggest difference is this. The gifts of healings could absolutely be a miracle. But sometimes the gifts of healings take time. Whereas a miracle typically is instantaneous. Um, A miracle is instantaneous. So that doesn't mean that if somebody's flowing the gifts of healings and somebody gets healed miraculously, that it's not also, they're not also flowing in the gift of miracles, but they don't always correlate. They don't always go hand in hand. So they're similar, yet slightly different at the same time. Uh, Kenneth Hagin defines miracles. So what is a miracle? as a supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature. Again, I'll say that again. A supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature. So again, these are the, it's one of the power gifts. So what does that mean? What is a supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature? So in the world, we have natural laws, right? Not speeding, things like that. We have the law of gravity. I'm sure Chris could probably tell me a lot of other laws uh, from her science background, right? Um, But we have natural laws, things that happen. Every day, outside of 
what we know, one day in history, the sun rises and it sets. Only if you're Joshua does it stand still. Uh, but oftentimes, uh, every day the sun rises and the sun sets. Right? We know that's going to happen. We know that if, unless you're in space, if you jump up, you're going to come down. Because gravity does that. Right? These are natural laws. We know that if you have a thumb amputated, that it's gone. It's not physically there. It's not part of your body. It's gone. It's a, na it's a natural thing. The, and what a miracle is, is it goes against those laws. When the sun stands still, it supersedes. Exactly. It's, it, it takes that natural law and it goes above it. It says this is a supernatural uh, encounter, right? Now, oftentimes in today's society, we use the word miracle similar to how we use the word love. I love Cheerios for breakfast. Do you really love Cheerios for breakfast? Or are they just good? You know, we kind of do the same thing with the word miracle. We say, oh, isn't that sunset miraculous? I mean, it's beautiful. But the sun's going to go down whether you like it or not. It's just going to happen, right? Oftentimes, uh, we say that birth, when women give birth to a child, that's a miracle. You even see in some hospitals the, the uh, miracle birthing center or whatever. Well, I will tell you, I've had four children, and watching what Sri has endured to have four children is miraculous. It's natural. God created us, not us, God created women to have children. That's what he did. He created women to have children. It's natural. While it's, it is incredible to see how all of that comes to be, and I'm not diminishing childbirth by any means. Do not take that. Trust me. Uh, what I am saying is it's not a miracle because it, in the world it naturally would happen. And if we go by the de definition that Kenneth Hagin said, it's a supernatural intervention by God in the ordinary course of nature. That's what a miracle is. We can't describe it in our natural senses. It is truly supernatural in nature. Because if you look at the natural world, those are all things that God created to function that way. If you look at a tree, every fall it loses its leaves. Unless it's dead, the next spring it's going to bud and the leaves are going to come. You could say that's miraculous. No! That is how God created that tree to function. It's not a miracle. It's incredible. I, I, I'm, I'm blown away by God's creation every single time I'm outside. We go and cruise around on the lake and it's beautiful. And I'm like, man, this is so cool. That is how God created it to be. And unfortunately, man has gotten in the way even of that creation. And we've destroyed it. Um, not, I'm not talking just about nature, but just things in general. We have ruined the way that God has intended them to be. What a miracle is, is it supersedes that. It supersedes that. So if somebody is born and they've got one arm shorter than the other, a miracle is that arm is now the same length as the other arm. There is no natural definition of how you do that. You can go talk to any doctor and they're going to say, I don't know how that happened. I can't scientifically say that is what happened. That is what a miracle is. That is what a miracle is. 
And when you are moving, when the gift of the working of miracles is actively moving and flowing through the body, it's incredible. We were talking earlier during prayer when Peter's shadow would walk past somebody. His shadow! Why aren't, like, why don't we see more of that today? His shadow. The anointing was flowing so heavily through him that he was so aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit that at a moment's notice, the Holy Spirit could do his thing. Peter was just the vessel. We are just the vessel. We are just the vessel of the Holy Spirit. He moves and flows through us. We can't get in his way, right? He wants to move and flow through us. Kenneth Hagin also said this, when the working of miracles is in manifestation, there is a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature. A divine intervention. God comes down and says, I'm doing it this way instead of that way. So now that we know what the working of miracles is and what a miracle is, let's look at a few examples of the working of miracles at work. We're, I'm just going to paraphrase one and then uh, we'll, we'll jump to one in Scripture. So many of you know the story of Moses, how he led the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. Well, one of the first examples in, in the word of the miracles, outside of creation, that was incredible, um, but is the parting of the Red Sea. Naturally, you cannot describe that. I'm sure if that happened today, scientists would be scrambling trying to find an explanation naturally why that happened. Oh, there was an earthquake and all the things, whatever, right? No, it was a supernatural divine intervention that God said, no, I'm going to part the Red Sea. My people are going to walk through. And what happened as soon as that miracle was done, the waters went back, the Egyptian shoulders washed away, and the children of Israel free. That's an example of the working of miracles in the Old Testament of that habit. Now you can go and you can find a lot more. I talked about uh, the sun standing still for Joshua. What did that take before for both of them, those, both of those situations, for Moses and Joshua? It took some incredible faith for that to come to pass. Would you, would you have the audacity to say, God, I need this day to be longer. I need you to, you, that sun just needs to stay there. Or would you have the courage to walk up to the, the, the beach with your staff and go, here goes, you know, like, and trust that the water's going to part. But when you spend so much time with the Holy Spirit and you know, you can step into that and go, yeah, I know that my God is going to do that. Right? And sometimes it happens, and sometimes it doesn't. We'll get into that. So, those are some Old Testament examples of the working of miracles at work. Uh, we can also look in the New Testament, and Jesus is the prime example of, uh, of uh, working of miracles. So, we're going to turn to John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 4. Again, many of you know this story. Uh, many of you know this example in the Bible um, because we learn it at, a, at an early age. I think this is probably one of the first Bible stories that I, I learned about as a kid because it involves a child. So we're going to read in John chapter 6, verses 4 through 14. Uh, 
This is out of the New King James. It says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Isn't it funny how Jesus asks questions? When he knew the answer, he knew what was going to happen, he knew what he was going to do, but he still asked his disciples questions. That's the sign of a good leader. Instead of giving the answer, he asks the question to see if his, his uh, disciples can answer him. And it says that, but he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Again, there's a great multitude of people, and you have five pieces of bread and two fish. Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, a number of about 5,000. Now, notice there it says the men. you got to think that there were women and children there. Some estimate that it was up to double. So you think 10,000 people, maybe even more. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragrance that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So a few things I want to point out there. Outside of the incredible fact that he, Jesus multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish to feed thousands of people. I just think about that. My hometown, Ellsworth, small town, Charity lives there now, uh, 3,000 people. That's everyone in Ellsworth, plus everyone in all of the surrounding communities sitting on a hillside, and all you have is five pieces of bread and two fish to feed them. I don't know about you, I'm sure that I would look at Jesus and say, this is all we got? Right? Like, I, you don't, we don't, like, we don't have more food than this. I don't know what, what you want to do. Like, we need to send these people home. I, we don't got nothing for them. But it wasn't like there was a quick trip around the corner that they could go and get some glazers or something and feed everybody. No, there was. It didn't happen. It wasn't there. They had nothing, right? There wasn't enough food. And, and it's funny that Jesus knew what he was going to do in this situation. He knew. And then I also think the, the best part about the story that I think often gets overlooked is Jesus didn't just provide the need. He provided extra. More than enough. More than enough. He didn't just provide enough to just, uh, everyone gets a crumb, just a little bit. No, he provided more than enough to where it says they were filled. If you can imagine... You're walking around, you're following Jesus, you're probably hungry, right? You're not like, oh yeah, like, I'll just have a little, you know, a little dab. No, you were probably hungry. You were eating a lot of food. And he provided more than enough. That there was enough extra that they actually filled baskets and had extra. 
And isn't that who God is? He doesn't just give you what he thinks you need. He gives you that and then some. Because that's our overflow. That's what goes to help someone else. So we know this story. We know it's an incredible situation that Jesus, uh, Jesus was a part of, that he was flowing in, in the working of miracles. And, and I just think, look at the disciples in this story. They just saw the natural. They just saw the physical count of people. They just saw the natural, I don't know how we're going to do this. And how many of you have ever been in that situation? Maybe it's in your job where you just see the amount of work that you need to do. And you're like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I really don't know. I've got deadlines I have to meet. I've got other commitments. I'm swamped. All you can see is what's in front of you. All you can see is the natural, the physical, what, what is there. And God sees in the supernatural. He sees what's possible, right? He sees that's there. And that just ties into what the gifts of the Spirit are. They're truly supernatural. That's what they are. We've discussed that the last few weeks. They are supernatural. We can't describe how they happen. We can't describe how Jesus would multiply bread and fish. It's not possible. We don't know how it would happen. You can't cut it into small enough pieces. Does, you, you can't do it. And I just, I, I was, as, as I was saying, I was telling this to Sheree. Could you imagine the giddiness of the disciples to start with? And then, okay, start feeding people. And like all of a sudden, you're like, there's no end to this basket. It just keeps going and going and going. I, I, I don't know. If I was there, I would have been like, this is so cool! Wow! Think of that, right? To be able to be a part of that, it would be so incredible. And then to be a bystander, not even a disciple, but to be a bystander to that. Wow! That just happened! Like, I'm sure you went home and had dinner with your family. That, do you, can you imagine that? Can you believe that? That'd be wild! Incredible! And think if people who didn't know Jesus today were a part of that. And I'm sure there were those that were skeptical of Jesus that were there at that time. I'm fairly certain they were fairly solidified that they knew who Jesus was. And it even ends, uh, the portion that we read, it even ends that way, where many people believed they knew who Jesus was. That's what supernatural miracles do. It not only edifies and builds up the body, helped the disciples, but it also helped those that don't believe. Another, examples, another example of the gift of miracles working in, in the life of Jesus is when he commanded the storm to cease. We've talked about that with the gift of faith. And I want to tie this back in. Remember, we talk about how a lot of these gifts work hand in hand. It's not like, okay, now I'm working in the gift of faith, and, and now, no, a lot, oftentimes they're working together. So now I want us to turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We'll start in verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, As evening came, 
Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care what we're <laughs> that we're going to drown? I can imagine it was probably a little more exuberant than that. Like, Jesus, we're going to die. Like, come on. Probably very aggressively waking him up. Uh, and you know what it's like when you wake up from a nap? Like, you feel kind of groggy. It says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still! Suddenly, again, instantaneous, instantaneous. It wasn't over time, it's suddenly. The wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Suddenly, the wind and the waves ceased. They stopped. Again, can you imagine being a disciple, being a part of this? It had to have been a wild experience. Just this wild ride of emotions. One minute you're thinking you're going to die. The next minute you're on a peaceful, calm, like, let's go for a well, This is great. This is, this is great. Right? That's what miracles do. Is It not only helps you build and grow your faith, but it also reminds you that Jesus is our anchor, that he is the one that calms the storms of our life. He is the one that we can look to when things are hard. And he will instantly, it's, and again, it's not over time, instantly. Now, the, the thing that's important to know is the disciples still had to endure part of the storm. Right? They were on the lake, as it says here, and they, it, they were enduring the storm. The waves were crashing onto the boat. And I'm sure they weren't on like a cruise ship. It was a smaller boat. They were enduring the storm. Jesus came and, and, and had it be still, but it wasn't just they weren't in any storm. They were still enduring the storm, but the miracle caused it to stop. Some other examples of the working of miracles in, in Jesus' life. When Lazarus came back to life, again, no doctor could ever explain how a guy who's been dead, exactly, several days, is now all of a sudden back to life. You can't medically say that, right? There's also another example where Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He goes and heals a withered man's hand. Instantly, the guy's hand is restored. Medically, you cannot describe that. That is what a miracle is. It's a supernatural flip of the script, you could say, where all of a sudden something was one way, it's now another, and there's no natural way to describe it. And miracles can be tricky for those to understand that aren't a follower of Jesus. Oftentimes when you hear of miracles, there's people who try to reason themselves out of it. They'll say, no, 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 that's all show. There's no way that actually happened. Jesus can do anything. And then some even, some even say in these examples in the Bible, oh, that was Jesus. He was, I mean, he's God. That's why he could do it. The same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus is in us. 
right? So the fact of the matter is, is if Jesus is able to, to flow in the gifts of working of miracles in his life through the Holy Spirit, so can we. And if we are temples of the Holy Spirit when we believe in Christ, that same power is residing in us. We have the gifts at our disposal. We just need to use them. In fact, if we look at the Word, this isn't just my opinion, this is what Jesus actually said in John 14, 12 through 14. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. He doesn't just say we're going to do it. He says greater things. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus already told us that we not only will do the things that he did, but greater things. So why don't we see more miracles today? Why don't we see more miracles today? I don't think there is a, a perfect answer to that question. I don't think any of us truly know why we don't see more miracles today. Um, as I was preparing, I read a lot of different opinions. But that's what they are, they're opinions. Uh, so I will allow you, if you want to study that, you can go and read the probably similar opinions to that. I'll share, as I was praying about this, the Lord kind of shared with me. And I think it's really easy for us to fall into condemnation in this, in this realm. I'm not doing enough, and that's the reason why I'm not flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not good enough. The Lord doesn't think I'm good enough, and that's why I'm not flowing in these gifts. It's a really easy thing to do, and the enemy loves Loves to tell you those things. He loves to manipulate that and tell you things that aren't true. The one thing that I do know is true is that the Holy Spirit wants to be moving through His church. He does. And unfortunately, for far too long, the church has haltered Him from being able to do that. We have built our own little boxes of what we want the Holy Spirit to look like in our church because we don't want it to be weird. It's being, it's speaking the truth, right? There's a lot of people, I, we don't want it to be weird, so we're not going to go there. Right? And I would say that, like, the Holy Spirit's not weird, but he, he's, he, he flows in the supernatural. So if you try to describe what the Holy Spirit does in the natural world, you can't. You can't. You can't do it. But he wants to be moving in and through his body. He does. He desires that. He desires that. And as believers, we should also be desiring that. Because again, the gifts of the Spirit are for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. So we, and we do this at Glory Church, we need to give space for him. Not just on Sundays. We need to give space for him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and, and every day of the week, right? It shouldn't just be this Sunday thing. I heard John Bevere say this. It was so interesting. He said, we know that the Word of God is food to us, right? And he said, if you only ate Sunday mornings once a week in your natural body, you would be wasting away 
you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. You would be like limping in your, I need food. We can't do that. We need to eat every day, right? Multiple times a day. We have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then sometimes we have second breakfast and third breakfast and brunch and whatever, right? We eat multiple times a day. If you ask my children, they eat breakfast at 8, and by 9, they're looking in the cupboard for a snack. Yes. Looking for a snack. We eat a lot. We need to eat. We need to also treat our relationship with the Lord the same way. We need to eat multiple times a day. And again, this is not a, a condemnation hitch over the head with the Bible. But what it is, is it's take some time to reflect. How are you incorporating the Holy Spirit into your every day? How are you incorporating him, him into every single aspect of your life? When you wake up, are you acknowledging him? When you go to bed, are you acknowledging him? Are you taking the time that you're setting aside to spend with him? And I'll be the first one to tell you, this can be hard. Hard. Hard for me. Hard for us. We've got four young kids. I work a full-time job. We've got activities, all the things. And I was having a conversation with the Lord about this. I'm like, Lord, I don't know when I fit the time in. I want to, like, I want to dive deep. And, I, I wanna, and I'm like, I'm struggling here. And he said, you have more time than you even realize. And he pointed out a few areas where I, was, I had time that I was wasting. Because we all do that. You know, these are really good time wasters. Really good time wasters. And I'm not saying anything against phones. I, I spend more time on my phone than I wish I ever did. Um, but he said, hey, you just started this new job. You spend an hour a day in the car, at least, every single day. How are you using that time? And I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. Windshield time. We all probably have it at some point throughout our week. How are we using that time? And again, I have four kids. Sometimes when the four kids are in the car, all you're trying to do is stay on the road. Because mom, can a dad, mom, you all know, if you've got kids, you've been a part of those car rides. But how are you using the time that you have, even in the chaos that, uh, that is life? Let's be honest. All of us have chaotic lives in one way or another. Some maybe more than others. How are you using that time to spend time with him? And if you feel like you don't have enough time, ask. Where can I fit the time? Because I can't really wake up any earlier. I mean, I could wake up earlier. But I don't know if that's a, a wise decision. And I can't really go to, like, I'm, I'm the type of person that at the end of the night, I'm, like, spent, you know? Uh, so I've just really had to ask the Lord, like, where should I be spending my time? So I think when, when the, the question gets asked is, why don't we see more miracles today? I think it's in the church, we've gotten complacent and comfortable not being uncomfortable. Not allowing the Holy Spirit to move. And it starts with us doing that in our own lives in order for that to happen here. In order for that to happen in all of, all of the churches worldwide is we can't expect to just come on a Sunday and go, wow, this is incredible if we're not taking the time to do that during the week. Another example of that, and, and I, I mentioned this, I think, during prayer last week. Think of Christmas morning. When I was a kid, 
Christmas morning was the greatest, and it still is one of my favorite mornings, but it was the greatest, the greatest morning of the year. And my parents, they would set all the gifts out. And, and before we were polite and opened a gift at a time, it was just everybody free for all, go open all the presents. It was done in 10 minutes. And it would be really strange if my parents spent all this time shopping. My dad would wrap all of our gifts on our deep freezer. Uh, I think he's, no, maybe you don't do that anymore, but uh, wrap all the gifts. We go and we open all the gifts. And then as kids, we go, wow, that was really fun. All right. And we walk away, never to touch the gift again, never to look at it again, never to open it or play with it. No, absolutely not. I was reading, I was curious. Do you know that in the United States alone, Two billion batteries are sold each year. And you know when the largest amount of batteries are sold? The month of December. Why? Because kids get toys, and as parents, they, you want your kids to be able to play with them. Because if you don't, trust me, been there, done that. Elijah got a new, for, new toy for his birthday or for Christmas. Hey, can I play with this? Oh, we're out of double A's. Ugh. No, you can't. That's how a kid works. They see the gift. They want to play with the gift. They want to figure out how to use it. Graham's birthday was just last week. He got a new uh, baseball bat thing. He was out there right as soon as we were done playing baseball because he wanted to figure out how to use it, how to play with it. The gifts of the Spirit are no different. We shouldn't open them and just let them be and go, oh, those are really great. I like those from afar. I don't want to open them. No, the gifts of the Spirit were given to us to use to be practical parts of our lives. Not just something that we open and look at and go, wow, that's really cool. I'm going to stay back here because I don't know. That's a little unpredictable. I don't know about that. No, he's given them to us to use, to use, to use. So I want to start to close with this. Each of these gifts, the gifts that I've shared and the gifts I'll share about as we kind of wrap up this series are critical for our walk with the Lord. They're critical. They're incredible parts of our walk with our Lord. Why? Because it's what continues to grow us as believers. We all come to know Christ, and that's an incredible moment. The gift of salvation is incredible. But if that's where we stay, that's where we'll stay. He wants us to grow. He wants us to feel comfortable and confident speaking out what the Lord has put in the Holy Spirit is sharing with us. They empower us to walk out what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. But most importantly, and I know I've stressed this a lot, these gifts are so important, but they, they come by us spending time with Him to know when He's speaking to you. Because there's some that'll get up and they'll say, I'm flowing in the gift of the word of knowledge. And they'll get up and they'll share something. You're like, that was definitely not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? We've all been in those meetings. We've heard it shared where you're like, that was really strange. Uh, and that's okay. Like, again, that person made a mistake. You know, there's grace for that. But I think it's important for us, in order for us to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we first have to start by spending the time with Him in His presence hearing his voice because it might start out as a very still small voice eventually it's a loud gong like you need to get up and share this right now right it's not just this literally like it's it's profound and flowing in the gifts can take practice 
you're going to make mistakes. You're going to have things that you say that maybe you're like, oh, that didn't, that didn't come out how I was expecting. We want to be using these gifts. And in this church, we want to be using those gifts. We want to be flowing in the gifts. We want the gifts to be a part of each of our lives. And I don't say that just for Glory Church. I say that for each of us individually because of how impactful they are. How impactful and important they are in our lives. Not that it's just, oh, cool, we had this incredible service on a Sunday. But on a Tuesday, the Holy Spirit gives you something. Hey, you need to call so-and-so and share this with them. And you do, and that impacted them. That's what this is about. That's what church is about. That's what community is about. It's not about this two-hour service or three-hour, however long it is on a Sunday. It's about everything that happens between those meetings. The prayer time that we have on a Tuesday night where somebody gives something to somebody and they start praying it over someone. Those are the moments that change directions in somebody's life. Right? Those are, that's why the church was created wasn't created so somebody could stand and share a message every 45, 45 minutes, you know, once a week. I love that. But the church wasn't established for that. It was established for all of us to build community, to uplift each other, to edify each other, to push us to draw closer to the Lord. That's the purpose of the church. Right? That's why it's so important for us to be able to connect and build those, those relationships and be in tune with what the Holy Spirit has to say. Right? Amen? Amen. 